Hello, Jim here, and I know we mention our Patreon account on our regular podcast, but I wanted to give everyone a sample of a non-comic book-related show that we do. It's my Best Songs Ever podcast, and it's totally free. So have a listen, and then if you want, go over to the patreon.com slash account and check out all our other shows as well as all the other 12 episodes of the Best Songs Ever podcast. There are quite a few free shows like this one, including The Cellar Dweller, Horror Movie Night podcast, the Far Out Sports Nuts podcast I do with Brandon once a week, and also a bunch of other comic book-related shows as well. And remember, when you subscribe, you do not get charged immediately, so you can check out all the shows and decide if it's worth your money. And thanks a lot, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Best Songs Ever. Is it getting better? Or do you feel the same? That is the beginning of U2's 1992 song, One. And it's been talked about since then what the song is really about. Some people say the song's about the pain and shame of having AIDS. Uh, others say it's about the fall of the Berlin Wall, the breakup and reconciliation of U2 as a band, or just a simple love song that is played at weddings. And maybe it's all of those, none of those, a combo of those, though the wedding one is a bit messed up. Will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame. You say one love, one life. Like I said, one is a song by the Irish rock band U2. It's the third track from their 1991 album, Octung Baby, and was released as the record's third single in February of 1992. The song's lyrics were written by Bono, and the music is credited to U2 as a band. And now the track credits are Bono on vocals and guitar, The Edge on guitar, keyboard, and background vocals, Adam Clayton on bass, Larry Mullen Jr. on drums, and they recorded this song. It ended up taking a while to record. Uh, they started off in Hansetun Studios in Berlin, continuing it in Elsinore in Dalkey, Dublin, and then Windmill Lane Studios in Dublin. And it did take a while from October 1990 to September 1991. In October 1990, U2 arrived in Berlin on the eve of the German reunification to begin the recording sessions for Achtung Baby in Hansa Studios that I said earlier. Expecting to be inspired by a quote-unquote new Europe and the reuniting city, the band instead found the mood to be bleak and soon conflict arose over the direction and quality of what material they had brought with them. While bassist Adam Clayton and drummer Larry Mullen Jr. preferred a sound similar to U2's previous work, uh, probably especially The Joshua Tree, a couple albums earlier, that was their big breakout hit. Vocalist Bono and guitarist The Edge were inspired by European industrial and electronic dance music of the time and wanted to change. The band also had difficulty developing demos, musical ideas, and completing them into songs. They were really having some problems at this point. Uh, at the beginning of the 90s. And Bono and The Edge believed the lack of progress was the fault of the band, while Clayton and Mullen Jr. probably got offended by that and believed it was the quality of the songs. And Larry Mullen said later that he thought 
that this was probably going to be the end of U2 as a band. One love, one life, when it's one need in the night. One love, we get to share it, leaves you baby. While jamming on a song called Sick Puppy, an early version of Mysterious Ways, the band tried different chord progressions for the bridge. And when they stopped figuring, they they had kind of a standstill. And when they stopped, the edge actually started playing uh, them alone on an acoustic guitar. And as he said, everyone was trying to decide if any of this was any good. There was some bickering going on. But at the suggestion of producer Daniel Lenoy, the edge played two separate sections sequentially. And they liked the way it flowed. The band actually liked what they heard, liked the way it flowed, and decided to try to play it together. And at this point, speaking of the song, The Edge said, I get a very strong sense of its powers. We were all playing together in the big recording room, a huge, eerie ballroom full of ghosts of war, and everything fell into place. It was a reassuring moment. It's the reason you're in a band, when the spirit descends upon you and you create something truly affecting. One is an incredibly moving piece. It hits straight into the heart. Did I disappoint you? Bono recalls that the medley, the structure, the whole thing was done in 15 minutes. He also said the lyrics kind of fell out of the sky, a gift. The concept was inspired by the band members' fracturing relationships, the German reunification, and Bono's skepticism of hippie ideas of quote-unquote oneness. And about the lyrics, Bono said... I had a lot of things going on in my head at the time about forgiveness, about father and son angst. It's a song about coming together, but it's not the old hippie idea of let's all live together. It is, in fact, the opposite. It's saying we are one, but we're not the same. It's not saying we even want to get along, but that we have to get along together in this world if it is to survive. It's a reminder that we have no choice. Now, one of the reasons that this song has been interpreted in so many different ways can also be attributed to it having three uniquely different music videos. The first video version directed by Anton Corbin and shot in sepia, shows the band in Berlin driving in Trabant cars and dressed in drag. Many fans and critics have interpreted the video to mean that one is the story of a gay son confessing to his father that he is HIV positive. The fact that proceeds from the single were donated exclusively to AIDS charities further fueled this line of speculation. Because of this, however, U2 pulled that video from circulation pretty quick, fearing that it was sending the wrong message. The Edge explained, 
We didn't want to be involved in putting back the AIDS issue into the realm of sexuality. It wasn't worth the risk of people imagining we were saying something about the AIDS issue through the drag footage, which was totally not what we were trying to say. But the second video takes things in a completely different direction, directed by Mark Pellington. It shows footage of running buffaloes, blooming flowers, which were sunflowers and orchids, and the word one in many different languages. Also, at one point, the word smell appears across the flowers. Uh, finally, the third version depicts Bono sitting in a bar, smoking a cheroot, interspersed with footage of the band performing the song live. Doesn't seem to have as much deep meaning as the other two, but the fact the three different versions exist is rather compelling in its own right. And when these videos came out, I remember uh, seeing the one with you two in drag in the car. I actually like that one a lot. And then the one with the buffaloes, the Mark Pellington one, which I think is the one that's the iconic one uh, now. Uh, I liked it, but it was one of those things that the more you saw it, it just kind of got boring. I hate to say it. It's just buffaloes running and uh, flowers. So at at the point then when that third one came out, I, I'm a huge fan of the song. That's why this is on here. But I will tell you, I was kind of getting sick of it at that point. My band uh, in college at WVU where I went, we played this song. So that kind of led to it as well of me kind of getting sick of this. But if you were going to go and watch the video now, I really like the original, the first one uh, with them driving around in drag. And for my money, I believe that Larry Mullen Jr. looks the best in that video. Have you come to raise the dead? Have you come here to play Jesus? Upon the release of Octung Baby, one was hailed as an instant classic, and its review of the album Entertainment Weekly called the song biting and unprecedentedly emotional, an opinion that its extravagant stylings and wild emotings put it among Bono's most dramatic moments on record. In its review of the album, Rolling Stone called the song a radiant ballad, noting that few bands can marshal such sublime power, but it's just one of the many moments in Octung Baby when we're reminded why, before these guys were the butt of cynical jokes, they were rock and roll heroes as they still are. Denise Sullivan of All Music wrote that the song was among U2's finest recordings and she praised it for its lyrical simplicity, heart-rending vocal delivery, and evocative instrumentation. In 2010, Rolling Stone ranked the song at number 36 on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time, making it the highest-ranked U2 song. In 2003, a special edition issue of Q titled 1001 Best Songs Ever named one the greatest song of all time. VH1 ranked the song second on its list of greatest songs of the 90s.
Now, like I said at the beginning of this episode, uh, a lot of people play the song at their weddings, which is kind of messed up if you think of it and you listen to the lyrics, even though they are kind of ambiguous and have been interpreted different ways. But both Bono and The Edge have commented on it, and Bono said there's something very unromantic about the song. Song's a bit twisted, which is why I could never figure out why people want it at their weddings. I have certainly met a hundred people who have had it at their weddings, and I tell them, are you mad? It's about splitting up. And The Edge offered his take on this and said the lyrics uh, were the first in a new, more intimate style. It's two ideas, essentially. On one level, it's a bitter twisted vitriolic conversation between two people who've been through some nasty heavy stuff we hurt each other then we do it again but on another level there's the idea that we get to carry each other though it puts everything in perspective and introduces the idea of grace still i wouldn't have played it at any wedding of mine and i love you too uh they're one of my favorite bands of all time uh one isn't my all-time favorite song by them though uh you'd have to guess what that is but I do think it's their best, probably. And Octung Baby is still one of my favorite albums of all time. I prefer that way over Joshua Tree, which is usually people's favorite YouTube album. And when they toured in support of it, I went to see them in Pittsburgh. This continues the love fest because it's by far the best concert I've ever been to. Uh, just everything about it, the theatrics of it, and, and they just played awesome. Bono was awesome. But it's also the closest... I've ever been to a band at a concert because I actually won tickets to go to the show by streaking across a bookstore parking lot. And my band in college, we were playing a show. It was a radio station promotion uh, at the beginning of one of the school years at a bookstore. And we were in the back of the bookstore in the parking lot. And the DJ announced that he was giving away two tickets to you two for anyone who would streak. And me and the drummer in the band, Ken, uh, took him up on that offer, and we stripped down. I ran as fast as I could. I was running uh, with my hands over my private parts, and I'm running just trying to run real fast. And if, you, if you're running with your hands down there, you're kind of you know going back and forth there. You can't really run your full deal, but I was going pretty quick because I didn't want to do it. I, 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 I was drinking at that day. Imagine that. But... I still was very, very embarrassed. There was a lot of people there. Uh, Ken decided that he was just going to jog and actually just waved his hands over his head as he ran. And I finished. We kind of had to do a little circle. I went back onto the stage, grabbed my pants, put everything back on. Ken still wasn't done. He was still running around. In fact, they had to kind of egg him on. The guy, the DJ, was on the mic. And he kept, come on, man, you know, you got to get back here. They, they never could have imagined that that Ken, though he was a drummer, he was the always had to be the center of attention. This guy. So when he ended up finally getting up, he climbed back up on the stage, and he refused to put his clothes back on. And they they were going nuts then. And they ended up getting a sign and putting it there. And he kind of was trying to get away from it. And they finally convinced him to put his underwear back on. I I believe if I remember right, they weren't going to give us the tickets if he didn't get dressed at some moment. So. He put his underwear back on and kind of like old school Red Hot Chili Peppers. He ended up finishing the show. We had one more set, I, I, if I remember right. He put his underwear on and just finished the show like that. I just laughed the, the rest of the time. And the, the craziest thing about this 
he hated you too. He didn't even want to go to the show. He didn't go to the show. He ended up just giving me the tickets. He just wanted to streak across the parking lot and let everybody see, you know, how proud he was of himself. And that is the end of the episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And these episodes go up on our Patreon account as free episodes. So even if you don't subscribe to our Patreon account, you can still listen. And I would hope, though, that the people who are listening possibly to the free deal may check out our other shows and support us for everything we do, including this little podcast. I I do this all for fun. Uh, but yeah, if they could support us, that would be awesome. And, and those of you who already support us, uh, I can't say enough how much it means to me. And thank you guys. But at the end of these, sometimes I get to use these episodes to be a little self-indulgent. And since I told you before that my band did play one at points during uh, our run at West Virginia University, I figured that I would end this one with a little karaoke. Never have love